Welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. My name is Camille Joy and I'm the host of this show. This podcast is dedicated to a very special group of parents, parents raising children with disabilities. There are an estimated 240 million children across the globe living with disabilities. And here on this podcast, it is my goal to create community for the parents raising them. Community locking arms from all over the globe. I pray that as you listen to each episode that has been handcrafted for you, you leave encouraged, you leave strengthened, you leave educated, and you even leave with some resources. So come on into the room, take off your shoes, relax, come on and take a seat on the couch and let Let's experience moments of joy. Welcome back to another episode of the Moments of Joy podcast. I am elated to have our special guest today, Melanie Oates, with us. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you, Camille. Happy to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much. So me and Melanie met... um, almost two years ago now, right? Well, we, first of all, we've never even met in person, but (laughs) we've met online and through Clubhouse and had many conversations up till today. And so I'm so excited for you to be on the show. Me too. (laughs) So Melanie, you have two children who are um, special needs or have a disability and I wanted to have you on because you've been such a, a source of resource, just yourself, for myself and um, for so many people. I would have never known about what an ABLE account was, first of all, yes. <laughs> if it wasn't for you. And uh, one one thing that I saw that you have that's forever imprinted in my memory is this big binder. For your daughter, with like yes. every doctor's appointment, Everyone. every note. I got two of them now. Wow. <laughs> it's her whole yes. 10 years on paper. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So so let's get to it. Uh, I, I guess we'll start with your son um, and bring us back to that moment of his diagnosis. Yeah. So my son, Julius, he's 10 now, but going backwards, um, age two and a half is when we got his diagnosis. There were things that actually it wasn't me that noticed some of them. It was Mm. my daughter's therapist, which will make more sense in the conversation. They actually started picking up on things. And I was like, oh, I guess I should take him to, you know, psychiatrist. And one thing led to another. And then he had his autism diagnosis at age two and a half. Wow. Okay. Wait. How far apart are Janelle and Julius? Are they twins? Yeah, they're twins. I Technically, one minute apart. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they are twins. Now that yes. is so interesting. Mm-hmm. So at the moment of conception, well, no, the moment of birth, did you already know what Janelle's diagnosis was? I had no idea. Wow. No idea. The only thing that I knew was that she was growing smaller than her brother, but with them being twins, that's something that's usually common. So there was a lot of things that were overlooked. I didn't do the 
amniocentesis. I didn't do genetic testing. I didn't do any of that. So the only thing I knew was that, okay, my daughter's going to be a little bit smaller than her brother. That was it. But that was not the case at all. It was not the case. And what was the moment that you as mom said, okay, wait a minute, there's something more than size going on? Yeah, um, the twins were about four months old. Janelle spent about two months in the NICU while Julius was home. So there was a difference there, right? Mm-hmm. But the rubber met the road when they were about four months old. And I started noticing Julius was doing things that his sister wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like tummy time or grabbing a toy. Sometimes back then we had a little printout of like milestones. Three months they should be doing that. Six months they should be doing that, right? But mm-hmm. there was just a huge difference. And that's when I realized, okay, there is something going on because she is not on the same level that Julius is. He was already delayed himself. So you can even right. understand the magnitude. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I started to notice stuff around four months. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and how did you receive the diagnosis for her? Oh, it was in a phone call, actually. So mm-hmm. fast forward to when they were 11 months, we did a lot of testing in between there, right? So I mm-hmm. brought it up to her doctors. Hey, something's going on. We did MRIs. Um, we did additional like brain scans and stuff like that. It led to a genetics test. So they tested, you know, basically her DNA. And that's when a geneticist doctor called me and said, hey, we want to let you know. Well, this is how the conversation went, literally. Mm. Ring, 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 ring. Hello, is this Melanie? Yes. Are you sitting down? Is this a good time? And it was caller ID, so I knew who it was. But that's how they prefaced the conversation. Is this a good time? Are you sitting down? And they proceeded to tell me that my daughter had a very rare genetic disorder, no name to it. Scientifically, it's called a pathogenic terminal deletion on chromosome seven. There is no shortened name for that. I just call it a chromosome deletion, but that's, that's how it went. A phone call and I was left to figure things out for myself after that. And and I'm just sitting here like, if you get a phone call like that, you have no idea what the, what that even is. What are they even talking about? Exactly. Yeah. It was about 45 minutes. The person that was mm. on the other end of the phone was a genetics counselor so it wasn't even the actual doctor. She was just reading, you know, the report, mm. but she was able to spend that time with me and kind of That's explain beautiful. it to me from a scientific standpoint, but right. from a, you know, prognosis, here's what you can expect. There was nothing to go off of because Janelle technically is the only one in the world that has that unique deletion. So oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, how that's so rare and I have to say it's it's amazing that the doctors even found that out so early Mm -hmm. that they would test and be able to find that out yep it was all based on her you know genetics testing they were Mm -hmm. they determined that what I did find out in retrospect if people go through like IVF process Uh you know intro intro IVF but in those cases, usually there's a procedure where they'll do, um, these are good eggs or, or embryos. These are your good embryos, quote unquote. We, mm-hmm. out of the six embryos that we got, 
two out of them were very good. The other four were quote unquote bad, mm. right? Now, if you mm-hmm. think on a broader perspective, the bad could mean a lot of different things. Missing a mm-hmm. chromosome, it could be, you know, abnormalities. It could be a whole bunch of stuff. So there is ways where you can tell, but we didn't go through that process. I didn't do IVF, which is natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they only just started to test, you know, to see if it was a boy or a girl just, you know, more recently too. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even tell anything inside, you know, unless exactly. you went and did that long, what they, they said it was a scary needle that you put in your stomach to test. Um, but who wants to do that? Exactly. I opted not to. Mm-mm. Yeah. So how did you feel in that moment? And what what was your response? In that moment, it was very surreal. Mind you, I was home by myself. I was mm-hmm. married at the time. So I did have a partner, but he wasn't home with me. So here I am, first time mother. I wasn't around family. Um, my family lived miles away. So in that moment, it was like, okay, this is what it is. But then on the flip side, it's like, oh my gosh, this is what it is. Mm. What the heck am I supposed to do? It was the relief, but then the reality of, girl, you're in for something like that you have no idea what, you, what you're about to experience. It's very scary mm-hmm. and isolating and lonely. There was no Instagram. There was no none of that. It was, let me, let me go on Google and you had these little forums and stuff like that was during those times which weren't very mm-hmm. helpful either add on the fact that it was very rare so I couldn't even I didn't know what to search for it's very 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 isolating yeah that that does add a different level of stress because even when explaining it to family and friends you can't even really compare it to anything because if she's the only one exactly exactly mm-hmm. so now that she got she got the diagnosis before she was one, how does life continue on for you at that moment? I became a advocate. I won't even say I was a mom. Like obviously I was a mom, but I feel like I was something completely different. I was the researcher. I was the geneticist. I was the the social service. Like I was everything. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. It's like a train running right into you, but you survive and you got to deal with that impact and deal with life and figure things out on your own. Advocate for my child, talking to doctors who don't understand what the issue is, figuring out, okay, what is a neurologist versus a cardiologist versus an ophthalmologist, like all this, like, am I in medical school or am I her mother? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, probably learned a lot more than some medical students. Yes. <laughs> Is that what made you start to build that binder that I spoke about? It, Yeah, it was. Because after every appointment, we always get a paper printout. So it just started with, I just need somewhere to put this stuff. But then later down the road, once I realized that the system, quote unquote, the system is not really connected, I'm talking to person A over here from this department in, in, you know, physical therapy who has no idea how her cardiology and her heart condition affects her mobility. Like I had to have something to tie the pieces together. So Mm -hmm. that's really what 
grew my binder, then became the dividers, then became, okay, these printout summaries, then became, you know, I need somewhere to put these business cards. Like wow. it just grew from there. Wow. You gave me so, so many ideas when I first saw it. I was like, I need to hold on to these papers that I'm getting. Because they yes. are today, but you, we should hold on to everything. You really should, because they really do come in handy, especially in emergency situations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's great if you're at one you know, hospital that has one you know, system, but a lot of times it's not like that, mm-hmm. especially having a child with different specialists. Have your x-ray reports, right? You get an x-ray. Let me see the x-ray so I can take a picture of it. Don't just give me a report. I'm not an x-ray specialist. I'm a visual person. Let me show this person that. Let me put it in the binder. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's so important to have your documentation. Yeah, that's one thing to definitely take away. Um, So as your children begin to grow, you have twins, and you said that it was Janelle's doctor's who or therapists who sort of told you that, hey, you should look at Julius. Mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah, it was because like- they, they started coming to my house. When I tell you after about 11 months and I got that diagnosis, mm-hmm. advocacy came into place. I realized, oh, there's these services. People are coming into my home for Janelle. Great. But then they can't help but see another kid. You mm-hmm. know, he, he's lining mm-hmm. up toys and and only playing with a certain thing for like the whole session. They're there for an hour and you stay playing with one toy. Hmm. So yeah, they definitely kudos to them for just speaking up about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because they could have, you know, and that's, and that's probably because they knew your temperament and, and that you would be approachable. Sometimes it can be scary. That's huge. It's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm to be as welcoming as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once Julius now, you know, has autism, did you take on a, a level of guilt or feel like oh, another thing wrong? I did, but it wasn't to the magnitude of how I felt about Janelle. Okay. Because Julius, he was he was doing some of those milestone things. So in my head, it's like, dang, all right, this is why he's been lining up all this stuff. Okay. Let me make sure he gets, you know, OT occupational therapy and get the services. But it, it didn't hit me as hard as Janelle. Mm -hmm. It just was more so like, all right, cool. God said, I'll never put more on you than you can bear. This is another bag. Let me get the other arm, put it on and, we gonna got it. We got to keep it moving. In a way, I felt that it was easier to manage because I had already gone through some of the stuff with Janelle for those few years. I wasn't an expert, but it wasn't fourteen different doctors that I had to keep up with him. It was now, you know, two different ones. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. huge reality check. Huge, you know, um, you know, damp not damper, but like an impact to the situation. Mm-hmm. but it wasn't to the magnitude of feeling like there's another train that just struck me from the back when I just got right. one from the front. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because for Janelle, um, as she began to get older, what did her limitations look like? Oh, to put it in perspective, she was like a six month old, still at age three. Mm-hmm. I was super excited when she was, three and a half and she just started holding her bottle like with two hands 
mm-hmm. I was like, I was noticing all of those small things that were major, yeah. huge or major milestones. Um, but I got introduced into, you know, adaptive equipment very early, wheelchairs. Um, I had to adjust how we lived. We needed to be on one level and not have stairs, like, because mm-hmm. I'm still carrying her. Yeah. It was, it, it was a lot. It was a lot, but it was, it's like taking care of an infant that just gets bigger and bigger, but doesn't really get out of that infant stage. Mm-hmm. Wow. You, you have been like one of the Queens of resources and, and as I'm, um, you know, becoming more resourceful, I realize that there's a difference between the person who is so resourceful, they're going to go find the resources that are out there and the person that just um, doesn't know, or maybe they do know, but they just don't have that extra push to go get the resources. So I wonder for you, how did you just jump right into finding resources? Were there numbers you called or people you spoke to? Because some people just don't know that even just calling a number could open up the world for you. People just don't know. Mm-hmm. I think by nature, I am a, I got to mm. figure it out type of person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like my profession is understanding how computers work, mm. right? And in my mind, I'm like, there's always going to be a way you can make something happen, even if it's so complex as a piece of technology. Taking that same perspective with my child, there's mm-hmm. going to be some way that I can figure it out. Let me keep asking the questions. Let me not take no for an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me get different perspectives. If I see somebody out in the store who has a child you know, in a wheelchair or whatever, let me go up to them and ask them a question. That's what helped me, just just not being afraid to ask different yeah. questions and not taking no for an answer. Because if yeah. it's up to me to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I can tell my family, hey, this is what's going on. But they're still trying to figure out what pathogenic chromosome deletion means. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, that going up to somebody in the grocery store or another person that has a wheelchair, that is the piece right there, like ask mm-hmm. someone else and don't feel so, you know, um, ashamed or private or, you know, just like you can't talk to someone about what you need. Exactly. And you don't even have to ask them a specific question, mm-hmm. open it up as an icebreaker because it is kind of awkward for somebody to randomly say, Hey, I see your, your kids in a wheelchair. What doctor do you right. go to? Right. Like, don't even do that. Start with, Oh, I've been looking for a wheelchair for my daughter. Where'd you get yours from? Yeah. And then go from there. Oh, who referred you? What doctor? You know what I mean? Like, you got to kind of break the ice a little bit, even though it's a small window of time. They just want to get their groceries and go. You don't know what their day is mm-hmm. about. But yeah. take advantage and take the opportunity just to... The community is so small. And I bet you the person that you're asking, they're probably happy that oh, wow, somebody else can relate to what I'm going through. You know what I mean? Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. I've enjoyed you showing clips of your family, um, showing clips of the hard times that we go through as caregivers and um, some of the hard decisions that you've had to make and totally honored you for that. And I'm like, people have no idea 
So one of the decisions that you've made recently is to put Janelle in a 24-7 respite care facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely the absolute hardest decision that I've ever had to do. Um, I still, you know, am dealing with the decision that I made, but not in a bad way. Right. right now, at the time of this conversation, she's been in there for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it led what led to it was because we lost all of our in-home nursing care. When you talk about resources and services, Janelle started having in-home skilled nursing services at age two. Wow. She's she's now 10. Mm-hmm. So she went into the center when she was nine. But that's a lot of years where we had services. Then the pandemic hit. We all heard about shortages. We all heard about, you know, nurses not wanting to do nursing. or It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what led me to making the decision was just because from a physical standpoint, Janelle, think like what I had said. She's like an infant. She's 10, well, nine at the time. So I'll use that age. She was nine, but, you know, completely total care. We no right. longer had our nurses. She has a twin brother. Um, the the magnitude of her care is it's severe. And unfortunately, she got extremely sick. She got extremely sick and she was in the hospital for 45 days. And everybody has gone through this. If you've been in the hospital, somebody from social services or their whatever, you know, the clinical administrative department is gonna come in the room and ask yeah. you. Do you have everything that you need at home for your child? They ask you that some way, somehow. Yeah. I had to just take a deep breath. And I literally said, look, I don't know how you're going to respond to this, but I'm letting you know right now, I don't have what I need for Janelle at home. Yeah. She needs to be somewhere that she can have the 24-hour seven care. In no way, Miss Lady, am I telling you that I, you know, I can't take care of her. I can't. I don't have the mental competence. I'm not saying that, but I'm letting you know if she comes home, she does not have what she needs. She does right. not have the care. So I had to put my pride aside. I had to put my mom guilt aside yeah. and make the decision. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Wow. So it was from there that the the social worker gave you the resource to go ahead and, and place her? Ironically, no. Wow. The social worker from the hospital told me that, well, the only thing that you can do is give your child up to foster care and then the state will be able to take care of her. Absolutely not. That is not right. what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. here goes Melanie, that deja vu, 11 months old, right? I found out she got the diagnosis and I went into advocate mode. No, there's got to be another way. So mm-hmm. I found, I figured out another way. There's a, there's a facility that exists that is specifically for pediatrics or kids, 21 and under, and they have the exactly what I was looking for, where I keep all of my rights. I am right. not giving my child up to the state. Absolutely not. That is not what we're doing. <laughs> hmm. Absolutely not. But when you shared that reel, I commended you because I said people just can't even wrap their brain around the day-to-day that it takes to take care of your child in that magnitude. But then you have to take care of your other children. You have to take care of yourself with Mm -hmm. no help, right? I can only relate to the fact that I don't have help for Mason and he's running around (laughs) and he's, he's able to, you know, 
walk and say a few things and eat. But you have to still be in infant stage when then you have another infant and a child to take care of too. And so that's why resources are in place for caregivers to receive uh, that kind of assistance. And so how is Janelle doing? She's doing phenomenal. She's in her center. She has a roommate. It's like the first time that I actually went to go visit her. Mm -hmm. I saw her and her roommate watching the TV in their room, cracking up laughing. So even though Janelle's physical presence isn't in my home and as a mother, you know, that gets to me. But when I see the benefits of what's happening to her, she has that interaction. She has that constant, you know, feel of someone around her. She's not just sitting in her room because I can't physically pick her up because, you know, I have a herniated disc and, and like, or we can't go anywhere. It's like, she, in a way, when I first went in there, I was like, dang, I feel like I probably should have done this sooner. You know yeah. what I mean? She's getting so many things. Everything mm-hmm. is there. She has weekly blood work done every week to make sure mm-hmm. everything's going right. Because she can't physically tell you I'm sick or my throat hurts or like we have to rely on her labs. What's her white blood cell count? What's this number? So that can tell the story about her. And yeah. it is, it's been a, a huge benefit and a huge plus and we see her all the time there's a lot of a lot of stigma around what I did mm-hmm. but it's because either people I don't know they experienced something and they think everything's like that yeah or they just don't have the magnitude to understand yeah like why people have to do it mm-hmm. but it's the pros definitely outweigh the cons yeah definitely do and sometimes we only have TV to relate to. We have no idea. We've never met a person. We don't even have one lick of understanding about why, mm-hmm. you know, something like that would need to take place. So that's why exactly. I you letting the world of Instagram into that moment. Like that was crucial for so many of us um, to actually yeah. do. Another thing that I noticed was that you had such a village. And I think I want to touch on that and ask you, you know, about building a village. Because sometimes in raising children with um, disabilities, we stay in um, an isolated place and we don't allow people in. And so can you talk a little bit about how you were able to build a village? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of goes back to me just being, you know, an open person. And then also wanting to share and tell people, this is how you can help. These are ways, you know, if, if you are saying one thing, right, call me anytime, I'll come over and help. And then you don't do it. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And if you're going to be part of this village, you need to understand that. Um, And my village expands even to, I think about her respite center as part of the village. That phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. I truly believe that, especially in this community for, you know, parents like us. It is huge to have supporters who, even if they don't understand the actual diagnosis, at least they're there. You know, you have the support. They mean what they say. They don't make it hard. I was talking to somebody one day and they were like, don't ask me, hey, are you hungry? You want me to pick you something up to eat? No. If you're supporting Hey, yeah. Melanie, you want tacos or lasagna? Like, there you make go. it easy. We mm-hmm. already got to think about so much. Make it easy. And you got to be kind of a teacher to your village. Yeah. But not in a way where it stresses you out. 
but you got to mm-hmm. kind of have that balance because it's new for them too. You know what it I mean? Is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so big boy Julius, now he's, he's also 10 years old cause they're twins. <laughs> and so how is he doing? And, um, what for him, is he still in any therapies during the day? Um, is he in general education or um, a self-contained yeah. person? He has an IEP, Individualized Education Plan. Mm-hmm. It's a service. It exists. We're going to make sure we utilize some things. Right. So he still has his IEP. He's in, um, they call it general population. I hate that term, but that's mm-hmm. just what they call it, right? Yeah. Um, which is the general education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in, you know, his general education classes, but he also has that additional support. Um, to get additional time on tests, to make yeah. sure the teachers are breaking down different concepts. Um, so he understands that he's a very literal, literal kid. So mm-hmm. if you say, you know, on the paper, please give me the solution. But in his mind, he thinks the word answer, I need the answer. If the mm-hmm. paper says solution, he's not going to be able to understand what it means. Right. So just having the additional support and ensuring the teachers understand this is how this student in your class operates. I need you to make sure you're giving him what he needs so he can be the best kid that he can be. So, yeah, he still has the the in-class in support and he has speech therapy as well. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, as he grows, how do you see him changing? Um, I always wonder about that shift from being a little boy to like that preteen stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I wonder how they change, you know, um, socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely, I'm starting to see it now. Mm-hmm. Um, physically, like I'm, his voice is starting to get deeper, which mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh. You're <laughs> but that's already right. started, but also his characteristics yeah, um, he still he when he was younger, it was like you know he want play wanted to play with blocks with the letters and the blocks with the numbers. But now that has transitioned into coding for programming. Mm-hmm. He's wow. still very repetitious, so that's never changed. But it's shifting into a more mature way, and it's just amazing to see how his love for math at the age of three, when he couldn't even tell me a sentence, but he could tell me what. 22 times five is that, you know, that gift, because that's what I call it. That Mm -hmm. is transitioning into his preteen into, oh, he may be an engineer or he may work for, you know, NASA or something. So it's, it's definitely already starting to, to happen. And I'm, I'm loving seeing it. I'm loving seeing it. That's amazing. Mason loves numbers too. So that makes me smile. Listen, (laughs) come on, on, next NASA programmer. (laughs) Was Julius ever in self-contained class? Uh, What do you mean? Self-contained? Like the special education in school? Oh, so yeah, all general ed. Janelle was in, you know, the the self-contained, but Julius, no. And they went to the same school as well before oh, she wow. went to her center. They're yeah. very big on inclusion. So wow. general, like reading and all that stuff, she was isolated. But lunchtime, music class, art, all those were in conjunction, which I loved. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, so before I let you go, 
you have done a good job of making sure that you prioritize your mental health. You take those moments to take care of yourself. And for parents who sometimes struggle with that and never take a moment for themselves, can you speak to the importance of that? Oh, absolutely. It is so important for you to take care of you first. Um, because if you don't, they feel it. And I know it's very cliche, but like when you go on the airplane and they say, put your oxygen mask on first before anybody else, it took me a while to understand that. Like, I'm not putting mine on first for my kid. What you mean? But when you think about it from a bigger, grander scheme, you got to keep you in check, in balance. Give yourself a no day. I call it a no day. Some people call it self-care day and self-care does not mean you got to go get your nails done, get a massage, get like, no, you can just sit in the house and say, you know what? I'm not cooking today. We're going to order, we're going to order delivery food service or some pizza, whatever, like give yourself that balance. You have to do it. It's so important because coming from me, who's been, I survived a suicide. Like it is that important. And this happened way before I even had kids. So Mm -hmm. I understand the magnitude of the importance of keeping you focused. And even if you don't think there's such thing as balance, create boundaries. Understand that the word no is a complete sentence. Yeah. Right. You, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're good because if you're not, it can just snowball and then you don't know when it's going to explode. There you go. That's so good. And so real. Thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us today. Would you please let the listeners know where they can find you on social media? Yes, you can find me. Best places on Instagram under Melanie Oates, O-A-T-E-S. Um, and there's an underscore afterwards, but Melanie Oates underscore on Instagram. And DM me, follow yeah. me, whatever. I'm open book. <laughs> yes, connect with Melanie Ask her questions. She knows a lot, a lot. (laughs) And follow her journey with her beautiful children. Thank you so much for joining today. And always remember, you always have the option to choose joy. Bye-bye.